our scripture comes from Luke chapter 16, verses 1 to 15. Then Jesus said to the disciples, There was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was squandering his property. So he summoned him and said to him, What is this I hear about you? Give me an accounting of your management, because you cannot be my manager any longer. Then the manager said to himself, What will I do now that my master is taking the position away from me? I am not strong enough to dig, and I am ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do so that when I am dismissed as manager, people may welcome me into their homes. So, summoning his master's debtors one by one, he asked the first, How much do you owe my master? He answered, A hundred jugs of olive oil. He said to him, Take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 50. Then he asked another, How much do you owe? He replied, A hundred containers of wheat. He said to him, Take your bill and make it 80. And his master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the children of this age are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than are the children of light. And I tell you, Make friends for yourselves by means of dishonest wealth, so that when it is gone, they may welcome you into the eternal homes. Whoever is faithful in a very little is faithful also in much, and whoever is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful with the dishonest wealth, who will entrust you to the true riches? And if you have not been faithful with what belongs to another, who will give you what is your own? No slave can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in wealth. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all this, and they ridiculed him. So he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves in the sight of others, but God knows your hearts. For what is prized by human beings is an abomination in the sight of God. The word of God for the people of God. Good morning, everyone. How are you? It is such a beautifully cold day. And you all are here um, to praise God and to be in community together. And so thank you. Thank you for braving the cold. Let's begin with prayer. God, open our hearts, please. Open our ears. Help us to hear this parable as part of your calling to be living in your economy. Help us to have eyes to see this parable as your vision, as your will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I have to say that on uh, more than one occasion, I have had a student pastor preach, and they get up here, and one of the first things that they say is, I think Brittany had it in for me, because look at this scripture passage she is asking me to preach on. 
And that's kind of how I feel today. I think I had it in for myself. Uh, but in reality, we uh, choose our scriptures um, as, a, as a site. So the four site pastors, the director of discipleship, the director of operations, we all work together to plan our sermon series, which means that I blame them. Because <laughs> this is a weird scripture passage. Did anybody listen to this and think, oh, this is a completely normal passage. I know exactly what it means. Okay, nobody, yeah. Small groups, did any of you guys have that like, oh yeah, this makes perfect sense? No, yeah. It's weird. But what I will say is that most of the stories about Jesus are weird. So in some ways, we can't help but get up here and be like, what is Jesus talking about? Because most of the things that Jesus talks about are countercultural. They don't make sense. They don't add up in the context and the world that we live in. So we can't help it. I mean, look at these stories of Jesus. There's the one where he walks on water, right? There's the one where he takes uh, bread, uh, just a few loaves of bread and some fish, and ends up feeding 5,000 people. There's the one where he takes water and decides to make it into the best wine that people have ever had. There's the one where... Um, so those are all things and in, uh, stories involving Jesus. And then there's the stories that Jesus actually tells about people, right? There's the story that he tells about the ten virgins and them not getting enough oil to so they don't have enough light. That's a doozy. There's the story where um, Jesus tells about the um, shepherd um, leaving his 99 sheep and going after the one smelly ram that nobody wants. That doesn't make sense. There's this story that Jesus tells about the lost coin and the lost son. None of these stories make sense in our world. So it's very likely that any time we get up into this pulpit here, this stage, we think, what was Jesus thinking, right? Oh, man, and I forgot about the story of the rich man whom in that society and time, was viewed as blessed by God, as righteous, ends up in hell. And the poor man named Lazarus ends up at the seed of Abraham. These stories just don't make sense, right? These stories, we call a lot of them parables, and they're weird because they defy our expectations. They defy... Um, the world that we know. In fact, they, they take the world that we know and turn it upside down. Right. But in this moment of disorientation, when our world is turned upside down, we catch a glimpse of the kingdom of God. We catch a glimpse of a new way of seeing things. At the beginning of each of these stories, Jesus often reminds us, he'll say something like, for the kingdom of God is like, and then he'll tell a doozy of a parable. And so in that, we see Jesus showing us a new way, a new glimpse of something, something weird. So Jesus says kingdom of God. In this sermon series, we've been saying God's economy because God's economy kind of makes more sense to us because we operate in an economy. And it is breaking in all around us if we can only see it. It's calling us to participate and trust in that new, weird way forward. God's economy is a place of peace and not war. It is a place where sh lost sheep and coins get found 
and where lost sons come home, come to their senses and are welcomed back home. God's economy, it looks different than the U.S. economy. God's economy is a place of abundance and not scarcity. It is a place where resources are unlimited instead of scarce. It is a place where there is more enough than enough to go around, and everyone, all the misfits and saints, are welcomed at the banquet feast. That's another really weird story. But God's economy, it does not make financial sense. And that's what we see in this parable that we have today. This manager is accused of squandering his boss's resources, right? And so the boss says, you're fired. And the manager thinks to himself, this really sucks because I am not strong enough to be a laborer and I have too much pride to beg. So what am I going to do? Oh, I know. I know what I'll do. Nobody knows I'm fired yet. So I'm going to go to all of my boss's debtors and work a deal. And that way, they'll feel indebted to me because I'm going to cut them a deal. They'll feel like they owe me, right? And then when I do get cast out on the streets, maybe they'll be nice to me and I'll have a place to live, right? So he's, it's a very self-interested position that he's taking here, right? But he goes to the debtors, he settles the bills very randomly, right? You've got 100 barrels of oil and it turns into 50. You've got 100 bundles of wheat and it turns into 80. So the debtors get the deal, they feel like they have trust, and the manager um, loses out. To be exact, the manager loses out by 20, I forget my numbers, 20 bundles of wheat and 50 bundles of oil barrels of oil, right? And then here's the weird thing. This is where we say, what, Jesus? The, manage, the boss praises the manager. The boss praises the manager for losing money, for losing the manager's money. I have been sitting with this parable all week trying to figure out what is going on and what does this mean? Because in the U.S. economy, praising somebody that loses money is ridiculous. Ridiculous. <laughs> but as I sat with this parable, I realized that in God's economy, it makes perfect sense. Whatever we think of the manager and the way that he was like manipulating things, uh, we have to recognize that there are better and worse ways to use money, right? And using money to establish relationships, even if it's a little bit sleazy and slimy, is still better than hoarding it, right? So in God's economy, generosity and relationship building become key markers. It's not about the money. It's about generosity and relationship building. This parable got me to thinking about a time when I have seen God's economy lived out in the real world. I think I've told you this before, but I have a real love for hardware stores. You all know this, right? Home Depot and Lowe's, that's fine. Um, it's, not, it's not the Home Depot and Lowe's. It's the little mom and pop, like the Ace Hardware or the True Value. I love those stores, y'all. And it's for two reasons. One, uh, I, you know, I love my grandmother. This is not going to be a grandmother story, but she worked in a hardware store, and so I would love to, you know, watch her 
th those little mom and pop hardware stores, they have like home goods, you know, you can get all your baking needs, like pie plates, and they have like a toy section. This, uh, my grandmother's store had a gift wrapping section, you know, small town hardware store. Love it. So I have great memories. But I also had a great hardware store in my hometown, Millie and Ernie's. And uh, yeah, when you go into one of those small hardware stores, does it just not smell like relationship? <laughs> really, really, right? Like, it just, there's, maybe it's just me and my nostalgia, but it just like, I love it. Is anybody tracking with me or y'all think I'm ridiculous? <laughs> Thank you. Nobody's tracking with me, uh, except for Adam. So what I loved about Millie and Ernie's, we would go there, you know, oh, uh, I'm gonna run by Millie and Ernie's where we need a toilet plunger, right? So you go to Millie and Ernie's, oh, I need to get a new shovel because it's snowing. Let's go to Millie and Ernie's. Right? The interesting thing about their hardware store is that, uh, so I grew up in the world before the like, beep, price scanning, right? And so all of the pieces of items in the store had little square price tags on it, right? Ernie kind of worked the store part, and he would probably, you know, help customers as they needed, and Millie was the one at the register. And you, you go in and say I've got a plunger for $4.89. I'd get up to the register. Millie would look at me. She'd look at the plunger. And she'd say, how about $4? She was bartering, even though the price was marked $4.89. She was going to give it to me for $4. And the other interesting thing about Millie is that somehow the, there was a direct proportion ratio between the amount of kids that you had in tow and the discount that she would give you. <laughs> so if I was babysitting and I went in for that plunger, it might be $3. <laughs> uh, and my family would laugh. This is no way to run a business. How do they run this business? And yet the community would come to this hardware store and get their toilet plungers and get their baking dishes and shovels and they stayed in business until they retired because they invested, their generosity was about the risk of relationships and not about the bottom line profit. The kingdom of God, God's economy is like a store owner that always charges less than she should because she knows that risking generosity for relationship is far better than hoarding money. Risking generosity for a relationship is, over money is shrewd, as the scripture says. But I, that word shrewd, how many of you all are like, oh, I love that word and I use it all the time. So I was looking at the Greek, another way that that word is translated is wise. Wise. Risking generosity for relationship over money is wise. And I think that is why the manager of the property was praised. Several, um, well, 
it makes no financial sense in our U.S. economy, but it makes sense in God's economy, right? That's what makes it wise. Have you ever caught a glimpse of God's economy? Maybe it's not in a hardware store, but it's something else. Have you ever participated in God's economy? Several months ago, I had a conversation with a person from this congregation um, who, uh, for the first time in his life, is financially comfortable. He um, has a good job, stable. He's never, he's never had that before. And he was asking me, I wonder what I should do with my money. How, how do I spend it when I know I have more than enough? And this is, I mean, those are great questions to be asking. Um, As people of faith, what do I need? What do I share? How do I plan for my future? How do I practice generosity? As children of light, this parable reminds us that we're called to have a relationship with money that is different than people that don't put Jesus in the center of their life. It instructs us to be shrewd or wise with our money. Now, notice I did say prudent or cautious or frugal. Those are good things, too. Um, Financial planning is important. Having a savings account, because we don't live fully in God's economy, having a savings account is important. Planning for your retirement is important because God's economy is not here yet. We catch glimpses of it, but it's not here yet. So these are good things in this U.S. economy. But I think the shrewd part is about what to do with the disposable income we have. Are we hoarding it on ourselves or are we risking generosity for relationship? Sometimes, depending on our income, it can be difficult to see where all of our money goes, right? Um, so I want to I wanna give you a bit of homework. I invite you to look at your budget this week or next week, this week, next week. And just see how much of it are you spending on yourself and your family? And how much of it are you risking on generosity for a relationship? I don't, I'm not going to stand up here and tell you what the right answer is or the wrong answer. I think that's, um, I think that's about Jesus working within you, right? But just... Ask yourself, like, how much am I spending here and there? And, and examine that and hold that in prayer and think about it, right? But I will challenge you, if the amount is mostly on yourself, ask where you might be able to cut back, um, where you can be wise with your money and risk generosity for a relationship. Several years ago, when Monica and I were in premarital counseling, uh, the marriage counselor asked, what is the most amount of money that you would spend without consulting the other person? Woo! <laughs> and, uh, you know, that we were in seminary and super poor, and so I think the answer was like $25, right? Uh, we're probably not that strict nowadays, but we still are. Like, actually, just the other day I was 
with my mom in Costco, and we've been breaking bowls in our house, and it's coming to be soup season. Um, not intentionally breaking bowls, they just are dropping on the ground or whatever. We've had them for a long time. And so I was looking, and there was a box of bowls at Costco, and I think it was $35. And I was texting with Monica to take a picture. Should I get this? Is this a good purchase? Maybe we should get it somewhere else. And we had for $35, y'all. And then I decided to buy it, and we would look at it in person, and then we chose to return it because we didn't need it. So what a gift it is to have someone else. It means we have to wash a lot more bowls, right? What a gift it is to have someone else in my life that can continue to ask me, do we need this? Is this worth it? Could this money do something else? And y'all, sometimes you need bowls, right? So I'm not, like, trying to say deny yourself so that you're eating soup out of your hands. But it's a really slippery slope in this culture of more, 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 more. Where do you draw the line, right? So if, if you don't have a partner in crime to ask those questions with you, find someone, because it's a gift. It's a gift to live simply. That's a whole other sermon series that I'd love to preach on sometime. As the scripture says, we can be faithful in very little. Some of us have very little income. Some of us have larger incomes. But we can risk to be faithful to the gifts that we have and invest them in a relationship. Over the past five weeks, um, including today, you've heard these wonderful testimonies of your peers on uh, why they give to UVC. Their witness, their very testimony is actually a risk for generosity, right? It is not easy. It is not at all easy to get up here and share your story, um, and then everybody just stares at you, and maybe they clap, and that's it. Like, it is a risk of relationship and community to give testimony. And so I'm so thankful for the five families, people that have done that. Their stories have varied. They have, they have been all over the spectrum in terms of why they give. But the truth that binds them all together is that they have made a pledge to this community because they are risking a posture of generosity toward relationships of this community. I, I, I couldn't have, like, you, you guys just said it beautifully. And they're doing this all in the face of a world, of an economy that says that we should be in it for ourselves. That it's about what we want and we need. And so their testimonies have been a glimpse of God's economy, have they not? Have you seen it? Have you glimpsed it? And besides these past five weeks of testimonies, we have had 42 households in this community commit to a posture of generosity. Um, I want to pause right here and confess, I actually haven't made my pledge yet, so it's not too late. <laughs> Shame on me. Um, but 42 households have taken this risk to invest in relationships in this community and made a pledge. Um, and so far, we're at $125,000 in pledges. Isn't that fantastic, y'all? Well, can we? I mean, that's awesome. 
I, I want to publicly say thank you so much for those who have pledged and for those who have not. Um, it's not too late. It's not too late to invest in relationship in this community. It's about the money, y'all, and it's not about the money. Um, one of those pledges that w has been made is for $1 a month. And one of the pledges that has been made is for $1,750 a month. It's for, it's about the money and it's not about the money because each of those people that has pledged did it out of a place of generosity and risk for relationship, right? So we all have different incomes. It's not about the amount that you give. It's about positioning yourself in a posture of generosity and risk for relationship in this community. So there's not judgment about the amount that's being pledged. The question is, are you willing to risk? Are you willing to risk? Because all of those pledges have been a glimpse of God's economy in this space. One of the pledges to all of UVC um, is from this guy that lives in Denver who's been to UVC about five times total. So all of UVC, I don't know how many we've had pledged so far, 100 some. This guy lives in Denver and he's been to UVC about five times and he is making a pledge to UVC because he considers us his church home. He um, listens to our podcasts. When he's in town, he worships with us. He, he, uh, Hyde Park, he worships at Hyde Park. And he sees and catches a glimpse of this risk of relationship, of community in this space. The, the weird stuff. Adam said, this church is not normal. It isn't. And that's a good thing, because Jesus was not normal, right? He is risking relationship in this community, even from afar. So do you want to join in? Yeah. I want to join in. I'm going to make my pledge. <laughs> what can you risk? What can you risk? And what's it worth? Uh, 